2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the, the best in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your life and career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Mike Rollins, president and CEO of Junction Strategy Incorporated. Mike is an accomplished entrepreneur, consultant, and advisor with more than 20 years of experience in catalyzing social responsibility and sustainability with organizations globally. As president and CEO of Junction, Mike has advised some of the world's most courageous and generative companies, nonprofits, and movements on strategy, sustainability, and social impact. From offices in Vancouver, Toronto, and London, Junction has served clients on five continents, helping them define purpose, plan their impact, tell their stories, and embrace accountability. Mike also does some great work through organizations like, like I'm sorry, like Hollyock uh, B-Lab, which we'll get into in a minute during our conversation. So let's jump in. Mike Rollins, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Adam. Nice to be here. Been looking forward to our conversation.
2: Likewise as well. And Mike is talking to us from the Great North uh, in Vancouver. So we're a pleasure to have uh, our friends over in Canada. Absolutely love it. Hoping to get over to that side of the continent shortly. But before we have a conversation about travel and tourism in in Canada, let's hit the rewind button here. Um, And I want to talk about your background and kind of how you you ventured down this path. Because correct me if I'm wrong, you were studying philosophy and poli-sci, and you're actually thinking about becoming a, a diplomat before going down this path. How did, how did that go? Where, where, did, where, did it, where did it make that turn?
1: How did that go? Indeed, that's a crazy turn. Uh, it was one of those classic turns in life where there's two paths that seem to be unfolding in front of you. And uh, I ended up on a path that maybe kind of surprised me at the time. So I'd graduated with my undergrad in uh, philosophy and political science. And it was really the intersection of those things that interested me, right? Political philosophy. How do communities come together? Why do they fall apart? Why do they get themselves into trouble? Uh, and it sort of lent itself to curiosity about the foreign service diplomacy. So I thought I was going to be an ambassador and I was applying for grad schools and um, thought that was a path that was going to unfold. But at the same time, I'd encountered an incredible mentor when I was working my way through university. Uh, and Bruce had an ad agency, and at the same time as I was thinking about applying for graduate programs, I was pounding Bruce for a job in his agency. Um, and I think it was September of 1998. Maybe it was the summertime. Bruce offered me a job, and, you and just I took it. Followed a mentor instead of leaping into grad school, and uh, in many ways, I haven't looked back.
2: It's it's interesting. It's interesting that it happens. And, and you said you haven't looked back, but I got to imagine, Mike, there has to have been a time when you're like, "What, what if I did?" I mean, and then you watch these shows on Netflix. I mean, literally, I'm watching The Diplomat right now, um, which is a little bit of a sleeper. But you got to stick with it. You got it. My wife and I have a thing. We have. We have, I don't know if you have this. We have certain shows that we can't watch after 10 o'clock at night because they'll put you to sleep. They're great yeah. shows, but and The Diplomat is <laughs> one of them. But it. But it's a great show. I mean, I want. I want to kind of go back to that a little bit. Did you like romanticize the idea of being a diplomat, or is it truly about you? You know, your passion and studying combining like you know, poly science philosophy.
1: Um. I think it's fair to say I romanticized it. I mean, I never went out to an embassy and interviewed an ambassador. Never See what it's really
2: about, right? Really but, thought
1: about what it would look like to serve in a really challenging country. Um, but it's uh, it's incredible how life has these interesting loops. Some ten years after I started with that ad agency, I found myself doing work in nonprofit groups that cared about community. And ten years after that, back. I find myself running a business that's really interested in social impact and community sustainability
2: yeah i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig into that in a little bit but you touch on something interesting and i and i find it's like these these kind of boomerangs in life and business where you start something and you, and you throw it out there and then it comes back and and as you're saying that to me, i'm like you know what it's funny and it kind of goes back to this concept that i just talked about about the long game and you and you plant these seeds and you you fertilize them and you water them and some of them take a really long time to grow right? And some of them just shoot right up like weeds. So um, it, it, it's different. And you talk about community and community is kind of a broad definition. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you define, well, I, I would assume there's two different ways to define community in the sense of, you know, the, 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 the social side of community, and then you have the, the, the corporate business side of community. But how do you, how do you define community?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's a word we use off the cuff all the time. Right. We think about professional communities or communities of practice. Uh, but what I'm talking about is, is local community where people live and play and learn and mm-hmm. work together. Um, and it's the cohesion in those local communities that seems to lend itself to all sorts of other social cohesions. Right. Economic cohesion. Political cohesion. If we have cohesion in a group of people in our local community, that seems to set us up for success in all other aspects of society and life.
2: Where do you think that 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 kind of interest was sparked for you with the whole idea of community? And I'd love to hear a little bit about your understanding and, and research. I mean, what type of communities did you find interesting? Which communities did you feel um, were really inspiring from a structural and organizational standpoint?
1: So where it came from is an interesting question that I have reflected on. Um, we're a family of immigrants. We moved from the UK to Vancouver when I was 10 years old. So my parents would have been in their mid thirties. My sister was seven and we sort of said goodbye to the community that we're in, in the UK, including lots of great friends and moved a third of the way across the planet to create a new life and a new community out here. So we were very purposeful about choosing to enter a new community, choosing the school, choosing mm-hmm. the location to live, right? Choosing the kind of work that my parents ended up doing and then being fortunate enough to be able to choose the school that I went to and, um, and build a life and a career here and a family of my own. Um, community, when we think about it in a in a more professional sense, if we were to fast forward to today, we're thinking about how companies participate as community members and how companies have an impact, positive or negative, on their local communities, and if they're big companies, on multiple local mm-hmm. communities. Um, so there's the there's the sort of research edge. That I'm sure we'll leap ahead to as we move through a couple more chapters.
2: Yeah, and 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 absolutely. And and so let's let's bring it back to working in the on the on the in the marketing and, and the agency side there. You know, what what were some of those foundational principles? I mean, you look back on it like, well, you know what? You know, thank God I followed that mentor. Thank God I went down that path because it really helped build and solidify some of these foundational skill sets and and mindsets that you have now.
1: Yeah, like any great mentor, Bruce saw something in me that he thought he could cultivate and nurture and help me to improve. And so the learning in those first couple of years in that ad agency were just incredible because he was really proactive in helping me develop and learn. So he saw a great communicator. He saw a talented writer. uh, And he saw somebody that was really good at easing into healthy, supportive, authentic, honest relationships with clients, which of course contributes to their success and contributed to the agency's success.
2: Right. And those, yes. and, and I mean, and those are, um, those are and transferable Bruce skills.
1: Was, like, remarkably generous with his totally transferable skills. Yep. Long, like, um, super valuable skills that have, that have actually led to other steps in my career and that I mimic when I'm trying to support other people on our team.
2: When you think back at that first mentorship under Bruce, what was one of those key learnings that you took from him that you apply now when you mentor
1: folks? I remember actually one of the early uh, experiences with him. He'd asked me to take a crack at writing the copy for an ad. It was going to be a radio ad, if I remember rightly. I remember who the client was. And uh, somewhere I still have the notebook where I wrote the first draft. And it was, it was awful. It was terrible. If I look at it now, it's, it's <laughs> oh my laughable. God. Atrocity. Uh, but I remember taking it into Bruce's office with this, this notes that I'd worked hard on to put this first cut together. And he gave it a good read. And he very politely said, this is this is a first draft. We're going <laughs> to work on it together and improve it. Um, but he, he could have received it and sort of shaken his head and said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, but instead, he took the time and uh, gave the energy to help level it up, and we improved it together, and I learned a lot in sort of designing the content for an ad just in that one episode. And that's how we showed up all the time. He just met every obstacle with, as if it were an opportunity and figured out how to solve it and level people up in that in the process.
2: It's such an interesting point from, from a mentorship. It's, it's because the, the value pendulum is never equal, and I think that's one of the hardest things for people to understand, and until you're a mentor... And you, you receive the energy that you're getting from mentoring somebody. And that's when you really realize, you know, what it, what it's, what it's all about. It's, it's, it's paying it back and paying it forward, um, at the same time. So I want to kind of hit the, the, the 3X fast forward button here. Um, and I want to talk about the decision and the journey to launch your own business, right? When you look back at your experience with the companies like Bullseye, um, and Radiant, what, what, what was that, 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 that wind, uh, in your sale that propelled you into launching your own shop?
1: Yeah, wind and the sail are kicking the ass. Um,
2: kicking the ass so is we, usually what it takes. Let's be Bruce, honest about it, right? When people go out on their own, it's like shit. Something bad happened. I got to go do my own true. thing
1: now. Yeah. So Bruce owned Bullseye, and in uh, 2000 was the dot com boom was starting to get crazy. Bruce and his partner Jamie sold Bullseye to another firm in town called Radiant. and we spent the next year and a half or so building an interactive agency. Five years before anybody used the phrase interactive. We were helping companies connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. We were helping them build their first web presence. We were doing all of the marketing communications that surrounded that, and we did really, really well. We won a bunch of awards for some big sites. I think my, my favorite was K2Snowboarding.com. Oh, nice! We we were nerdy about the technology at that time, but we'll save that for another call. Um, and then uh, in 2001, of course, the dot-com bust happened. So in April, things weren't looking very good, and they they decided to do a round. Of- our, our team of 65 shrank to about 40-something. And that wasn't enough. So by June, another round of layoffs, 40-something, something the, the summer went on, and September 11th happened. Nobody knew what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on November 16, 2001, I was part of the third or fourth round of layoffs. And now they'd cut the firm down to eight people. Oh. Hardly anybody left. There wasn't really a business there. And, and of course, the market was in free fall. So November 16 to Christmas was really only like three active business weeks before everybody falls asleep into the Christmas holidays. And I was chasing a couple of jobs, and one by one, each of them fell through. Uh, and later I learned that uh, I, had, I was going to be offered one job one afternoon. And that morning, the meeting had been canceled because the company had frozen hiring. So I missed getting a, what would have been a pretty amazing job by three or four hours and come the following March, three months later, I uh, decided it was just the only opportunity was to start my own business.
2: So it's so crazy how like, um, you know, necessity is mother invention, right? It's like, it's like if if there's no business out there, I got to create the business. And like you, I mean, I spent, geez, I spent almost the first 19 years, 20 years of my career working for other people till I went out and, and launched my own business and it's hard and it's a hard mentality to go from a paycheck, right? Like a guaranteed money every single week to having to go out and kill what you eat. And that is a a, a really tough mindset, but let's, let's talk about the story of, of bootstrapping uh, octopus strategies with $80. What did you spend that? What did you spend the $80 on? I mean, right now I could spend $80 on a GoDaddy website in about a minute and a half. Well,
1: there's something interesting about that moment. So it's, it's November to March. It's four months. Uh, during that time, my son celebrated his first birthday. So we've got a newborn in the house. Um, we had no cash. I think we borrowed one mortgage payment from my father-in-law, which is wonderful. Like how lucky to be able to do that. Right. Uh, but having this conversation with a colleague that I'd worked with at both Bolzian and Radiant, his name's Andy, about maybe starting this company, Octopus. I hated the name, uh, but I love Andy, <laughs> and I was keen to work with him. So we built this business plan. Uh, we're going to have to really hit the ground running. I got no money. I literally had $80 in the bank, and I used iMac. <laughs> and I cut up an old desk and stuck it in a closet at the front door just so that I could close the door on work at the end of the day. So I was literally working in a closet. And, uh, and, and we just started calling people that we knew and seeing who was Looking for an ad agency, or who was looking for communication support, and there were two things that worked out really well in our favor. One was we were invited to bid on a piece of work. About about thirty days into March, we we were asked to bid on a piece of work, and we were successful. We won that piece of work, Um, and then uh, we won a second piece of work that was actually referred to me by my wife. Um, She is a teacher and one of the parents at the school needed somebody to rebrand his firm. So she introduced We got that piece of work. So we won our first two competitive bids, which never happens.
2: That no, was good,
1: right? good luck, yeah, luck there. We win probably 20 to 30%. Of Huge luck. So 63 days in, uh, we broke even. We, we completed our plans for the first year in 63 days, which is stunning. Awesome. But the other thing that was more strategically in our favor, is we decided to build... Around what we time were calling values based. So, um, so, our intention was it looks like technology life cycles come and go. It's hard to build an enduring brand on that. It looks like just having a domain name didn't work for many people based on the dot com uh, It looks like, too, that the sort of brag of pursuing the dot com uh, boom kind of fell flat when it all fell apart. So the bluff and the bluster and the inauthenticity and the sort of bragging and boasting didn't seem to work. So what if we started to build on the values that brought leadership And what if we could figure out how to help those people articulate values, unify them as a set, and then build a brand based on that and sort of a narrative platform? And that really resonated with me. Again, like the echoes of the .com was really fresh thinking. It was really honest thinking. Um, We used the word authentic a lot in those early days. Um, And we, Andy and I kind of hardly looked back over the first three or four years. The market really liked what we were talking about. Hey,
0: everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call The Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce The podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind The podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B, B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thePOSCourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks.
2: So let's talk about that word authenticity. And, and it's interesting because I, I'm a I'm a true believer in this day and age of social clout and social proof that authenticity or perceived authenticity could be manufactured. There's optics behind it. There's smoke and mirrors. But what is that formula to bring out the true authenticity of a brand and what it means? And like, how, how do you consult a brand? Be like, listen, we're not trying to tell you to be what you're not. We're not trying to f- make you fit this model with, with, with the ideal company and brand should look like, but be your true self. Right. Like if you're a company making plastics, I mean, listen, you're not that environmentally friendly. Don't try to act like that. Right. But like how do, where's the happy medium? But listen, we create, pla- I'm just making this up. Like we create plastics that drive healthcare. Uh, you know, artificial hearts, you know, artificial limbs. Right. Like how do you how do you spin it to be your authentic self as a brand?
1: Well, there's a couple of things I'd say. One is let's define authenticity. Um, and it's a word that gets used an awful lot. Oh, but when it's we use totally the diluted word, at this what point. What we mean is. Totally diluted. Um, What we mean is consistent adherence to stated values through time. I like that. So if your core value is courage and you don't act courageous, well, then you're eroding your brand and being inauthentic. If your core value is generosity and you're not being explicitly generous, uh, then you're being inauthentic. You're not sticking to the brand. Um, It doesn't mean that we're expecting perfection. Because just like in that, that value exchange in mentorship, sometimes you take, sometimes you give, sometimes you do well, sometimes you slip up. Right? We're not looking for perfection; we're looking for a consistent commitment and demonstration of adherence to values through time. So that's what we mean by authentic.
2: And I think so our right, job, right, and that can be and that could be applied to individuals as well with their personal totally, brands. Absolutely,
1: yeah. absolutely scalable. Yep, it can apply to individuals. It can apply to a team group, small group of people that works together to achieve a shared goal. You can work for an entire company. Mm-hmm. And it can scale out yet further. It can apply to an entire nation.
2: Interesting. Now, how does that transcend into social impact? How do you tie those two together?
1: Yeah, great question. So the social impact has been a fascinating trend over the last 25, 30, maybe more years. Um, so post.com, there was a lot of conversation about sustainability. And people were largely talking about environmental sustainability. hmm And then sort of social and community causes kind of got bolted onto that in the 2010s. Uh, Corporate social responsibility became the sort of flavor. of the And then as we got into the teens, people started to talk about social impact. And that has evolved yet further now. We're talking about social purpose of businesses. Um, Social impact is about making a positive contribution on the environment, the planet, and on people or communities. And those people could be people that work for you. could be people that buy from you or they could be other members of the community that have a stake in your success. Um, So the social impact is about being in good, healthy relationships with all of those stakeholders and making sure that you're not taking too much um, and giving what you can and showing up in a way that actually adds value to the community rather than being a, a sort of a net. Erosion. Yeah.
2: And, and I love that definition. I pre- appreciate you unpacking. Let's talk about Hollyhock for a moment. You're on the board over there and, and they do correct me if I'm wrong, uh, yeah. personal and professional community development seems in line with your, your goals and your missions, but tell us a little bit more on what that, what that, what that means to you.
1: So in about 2009, I went to a conference at Hollyhock. It's the first time I visited it. It was a, it's an annual conference called the social venture Institute and we host hundred plus social entrepreneurs for five days. So it's a long conference. And I went in, in 2009, uh, at another difficult time in the business, 2008 hadn't been great for us as it wasn't for a lot of people. Um, and I found another incredible community there, right? Showed up in a room of social entrepreneurs that thought about business the same way I did. Uh, at the time we used the phrase found my tribe. Uh, we stopped using that phrase more recently. Um, But I just fell in love with this community. This amazing group of people uh, made a couple of great friends at that first conference. And uh, a few weeks later, I'd got four new clients from the network there. So it was a really remarkable experience. A year later, I came back with a humble check. Uh, Two years after that, I was invited to produce the conference. Four years after that, I was invited to join the board of directors for Hollyhock, which is the venue, and it hosts over 100 programs every year. And then in 2019, six months before the pandemic, I became the chair and I'm now the co-chair of the board of directors at Hollyhock. Uh, so an incredible 10 or 11 year experience, more now, it's like 12 or 13 years since I first went. Uh, but it's been an incredible contribution to, to our business. But I think more importantly, to friendships and honestly to me, like I think I'm a better human being. Um, as a result of some of the experiences that I've had at Hollyhock.
2: I love, I love, I love hearing that. And I, and I really am a champion. I tell people to venture outside of their bubble of just what their job is and join professional communities and expand and, and listen and learn. So I want to I pivot a little bit and I want to talk when we're talking about you know social impact. I don't, um, we throw around the acronym ESG scores a bit and, and it can be very polarizing. So just for my audience out there, I'd love if you could define and break it down what it means and, and why do some people think it's polarizing?
1: Well, it's important to talk about where it comes from. So ESG is an acronym, Environmental, Social, and Governance Factors. And there's a school of thought that believes that uh, fiduciaries in businesses, people that are responsible for the financial company, should be paying attention to those factors, ESG. It comes from uh, finance, right? People that are looking at the financial success of an enterprise are thinking about the short-term and the long-term. And a lot of the long-term... Influences and challenges are of environmental, social, and governance impacts. Uh, so environmental is intuitive, social, relatively intuitive. It's what's your impact on the community. Governance is really about pow- how power is held and how decisions are made in an organization. Uh, and the healthier companies are on ESG. There's an awful lot of data that show those companies tend to do better in both the short and long terms. The controversy around it is, that, uh, is a bit of a distraction. Um, it stipulates, so it's really this this collision point of a school of thought that comes out of the Chicago School, as it's referred to, and Milton Friedman, who said way back in the seventies that the social responsibility of business to generate a profit mm. and to do so within the rules of the game. So even in, the, in the, the quote often gets curtailed, but he was talking about doing it legally and in a healthy regulatory environment, uh, and that's exactly the rub because if we're thinking about problems like social inequality, social injustice, economic inequality, if we're thinking about issues like climate change, then doing so within the rules of the surely means doing so within the context of a healthy planet and healthy communities. And ESG tries to introduce that conversation into a broader understanding of what the fiduciary responsibility is as a leader. Um, so we've long been talking about ESG and corporate social responsibility, but here's where it's evolving. This is the bit that I'm with right now, ESG tends to associate itself with risks, managing downside risks. Mm. It tends to, not always so, but tends to. Impact seems to pivot the conversation more to positive contributions. So it's a little bit more uplifting, it's a little bit more maybe inspiring, but it's really about what's the contribution the business can make to solutions rather than merely managing its downside risks or downside impacts. <sighs>
2: It's interesting. Like we talk about social change and everything, do you think that needs to come from the private sector, you know, business and entrepreneurship, or is is that does that have to come from there before or after public policy? Like, what came first? You know, the the, the chicken and the egg here. Which one's going to drive social change?
1: Well, I think it's, there's three sectors, and I think the solutions come when they're better at collaborating. So you've named the public and the private sectors. What's the third the sector? Has a responsibility to protect citizens and make sure collective is healthy, private sector has the responsibility to do its bit and generate jobs, well-being and those things. The missing middle is the civil society, right? what we call the third sector. This is charities and nonprofits and activists and uh, non-governmental organizations. And they are often the sort of birthplace of some of this creative thinking. And they have an influence on businesses because they call them to account and they have an influence on government because they pursue regulatory change. Um, But the best solutions seem to be when we all just step out of our silos and have conversations together. So how do we better collaborate as business leaders with civil society organizations to understand community issues and do our job to address them? And how do we work with government to ensure that the regulations are in place so that there's a a fair playing field and bad actors can't get away with bad acting?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, what are some of those bright spots of optimism that you're seeing these days? In social change.
1: It's amazing. As you ask the question, the first thing that flashes through my head is B Corp and B Lab. Uh, so the B Corp certification, when it started some, I guess it's about 15 years ago, maybe it's a bit more. When it started, it was just like an obscure notion, interesting, a certification to sort of demonstrate that my business is socially responsible. The momentum this thing has is absolutely stunning. It's incredible. It took them 10 years to serve. 5,000 businesses, and the latest that I heard from B Lab, the nonprofit that actually manages it, is more than 6,000 businesses in the queue wow. to be certified right now.
2: I mean, that's that's surely a good sign. And and what advice would you give to individuals that want to pursue this path professionally, um, from a from a full time perspective, or maybe how to they get their organizations involved? How they could be an ally and a champion?
1: I'll share a piece of advice that was given to me years ago. When you're trying to figure out where you want to make an impact in community, figure out what pisses you off the most.
2: Reverse Uh, engineer it. Mm -hmm.
1: Angry at the slow pace of progress on environmental change, then figure out how you can make a positive contribution. If you're like me and you get really, really frustrated by um, poor uses of power and abuse of individual people, then figure out how to make a, a, a change there. It's a great piece of advice, just kind of flip what frustrates you and you'll identify beautiful goals.
2: Right. Just in a, on a general piece of advice in, in, in that point there. And then on the flip side of that one, too, like what's keeping you up at night?
1: Mm. We're running out of time on climate change. Are we? People People that aren't terrified aren't doing the reading.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're, it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a, it's not a good thing. And I've, I've, you know, I'm I'm pretty passionate about the environment and always trying to make micro decisions on a, on a personal and, and family level and hopefully inspiring other people. It's like even one of those things too, where like, I, I'll give a prime example of it. Um, Our garbage folks in our, our garbage uh, sanitation team in the suburbs here, my friends are like, why do you even bother putting out recycling? They all throw it in the same crap anyway. I'm like, well, what if, they, what if they don't? What if you're not sure about that, right? This little steps will go out there. What if it, when it gets to the, the sorting, they actually are going to sort And I'm going to make it a little bit easier for them. So like micro But it's kind of like just like that, that who gives a shit mindset that we're oh, I can't do anything about it. Why, why should I even bother?
1: Uh, that's, a, that's a really great question. Um, because you as an individual shouldn't have to solve for a global problem, right? It's an entirely inappropriate expectation, right? This is a global problem that has resulted from really rapid industrialization. Um, It's a problem that should have been addressed by governments decades ago when Mm -hmm. they knew that pushing so much carbon into the atmosphere was going to be a problem. It's an issue that should have been uh, solved or shifted by major corporations that knew they were spewing a lot of carbon and should have curtailed it. They had the data. They didn't do anything about it. Uh, And it's something that we can think about at the community level. Right? Like the recycling stuff should be going into recycling facilities. And That's if it's not, then regulators need to step in and make sure that it does. That's the citizen's expectation at the curbside when they put that, that box out every week. And then you and I can do the pieces that we can do given the scope and capacity that we have uh, within the context of our lives. Right? We're not going to solve for. Absolutely everything, right? Many of us still drive gasoline powered cars. Mm-hmm. But most people would say, yeah, oh, if electricity is cleaner, I'll drive an electric. Maybe my next car will be an electric.
2: Right, but is electric really cleaner? Because then you hear the flip side of but it and you talk about the mining cars. Right? Like, like, but I just want to flip that right. for a it's second not here. It's right? I want, but I want to talk about the flip side, right? We talk about like the flip side of EV when people flip back and they're like, wait a minute, listen, in theory, of course, electricity it's cleaner, but like, wait a minute. How much carbon emission goes into mining for the Uh, elements that go into those electric car batteries, right? Like how much pollution is like some people are even saying, if you really look at the numbers, crazy enough, gasoline emissions might even be better than what they're, what the output is of the electric vehicle production. Right. So you're hearing so many different sides of it. It's like a a lose, lose situation.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just because it's complicated, right? It's really hard for the average person to wrap their head around. Um, But if you're buying a new car today and all things being equal, assuming the electricity you're going to charge your car with is cleanly produced, Mm -hmm. then over the lifetime of the vehicle, you're better off buying electric. Right. Um, Yeah. There's there's a heavier carbon footprint of some electrics compared to some gasoline vehicles. Um, But even that isn't a simple across the board comparison, but over the lifetime of the vehicle, you're going to, you're going to push uh, out it's less so much, it's molecules. so
2: much, it's so much more complicated than that. And, and it's interesting. And just to kind of go back for a second where you said, it's not like an individual responsibility to solve these global problems. But I think that if we collectively all start thinking more about it and more taking action, then we're going to build up critical mass and, and help to persuade and, and motivate the decision makers, the politicians, the businesses out there. And we, and we need to keep doing that. So Mike, let's bring it home here. Um, You know, I, one of the greatest things about this show is I get to talk to incredibly interesting and intelligent folks like yourselves and, and, and get advice from them. So let me ask you, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you have received, Mike, that you take action on daily?
1: Um, show up in the way you want people to show up in your life. So we have a one of the core values is generosity. And it's one of my own personal core values as well. And we've per- was fully built the, the business and the brand and the organizational culture around this central value and a couple of others. But generosity for us is not just about philanthropy. It's about assuming positive intent. Uh, it's about seeing the best in people. Uh, it's about showing up and appreciating people in the way that you'd like to be appreciated. I love it. Um, and I try to do that every day with my colleagues and my team and my family. Uh, and that, those are sort of words to live by for me.
2: That is, that is absolutely fantastic. And I think that's, that's advice. Like philanthropy is not just a checkbox on your corporate to do list. Right. Right. Generosity isn't a a checkbox on do good values as a human. Right. And I, and I, and I I truly believe is how you do anything is how you do everything. Right, how you have an interaction with somebody is really just going to represent you. So, Mike, last but not least, well, you know, sir. you look back on, on your on your life, you look back on your on your personal journey, your business journey through the ups and downs, and there was certainly those times where you had to dig down deep, and you were not on top, and you were down, <laughs> out of work, and you had eight dollars in your pocket, and you're about to start a company, but you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to drive you forward. And you look now in that rearview mirror, and you look ahead at the same time, and you're grateful for this life, this family, this. Mission driven, purpose driven business that you've created and making so much positive impact. Mike Rollins, what is your compass? What is your beacon in life? What is your North Star?
1: Mm, beautiful question. I think there's two things that I inherited that add up to that beacon. So, for my father, I inherited an incredibly wise sense of discernment, ability to suss out the wise next step. And from my mom, I inherited absolutely Bottomless well of love that I can tap into. Uh, those two things together point me towards my own sense of purpose, which is to host juicy, generative conversations in service to humanity. My job is just to bring people together and have the conversations we need to have to improve the health and well being of a community, whether that community is a team of people in a business, a local community, or something bigger. Um, to hold juicy, derivative conversations and service life. That's my raison d'etre.
2: Awesome. Beautiful. Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you, your mission, uh, and your time. I want everyone to check out junction.com, spelled dot com. Please check it out. Mike, where else could folks find you? Where could they connect? Where could they learn more?
1: Uh, junction.com is the best place. You can easily find me on LinkedIn, too. Mike Rollins, R O W L A N D and I'm happy to chat with anybody that's excited about some of the things we've talked about today. Awesome. I really enjoyed
2: the chat, Likewise, likewise, and we'll definitely link it all up in the comments here. And everyone out there listening, uh, if this show um, hit home, if this show resonated, please share it. Sharing means caring. It goes a long way. Leave a review rating. We certainly appreciate it. You know you can find out more at thepauscast.com. Follow us on other social media channels. Remember, be good to yourself and be better to others. Thank you for listening and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast.
0: Take care, everybody.